Well, as we wind up today, uh, finish up today, and then next week we'll finalize our sermon series on what we believe as we get ready for Friend Day, and then we're going to take a look at the book verse by verse of Nehemiah. And so I'm looking forward to that, getting back to just preaching verse by verse. I enjoy that so much. Uh, but as we look at uh, baptism and Lord's Supper today, we've been really looking at, in, in this series, those doctrines that we were say would be the non-negotiables. Uh, you know, the, the ones that, you know, if somebody disagrees with us on those, that it's, you, you really can't even have fellowship with them. As we get into these two, however, I, I wouldn't say that they are top-tier non-negotiables if somebody disagrees with us that we couldn't have fellowship, but yet they're pretty close to very important doctrines. Obviously, we're a Baptist church, and so we believe in baptism by immersion, and hopefully today uh, we'll give you some scriptural principles as to why we believe that, uh, along with some symbolisms. The Bible is full of symbolisms. When you look at Jewish history, the Jewish feast, a lot of different things, uh, I hope that you will be encouraged as we go through these. And so I want to give us a variety of different points uh, that would support what we believe in baptism by immersion. And the very first is the word baptism. Uh, so let me ask you this. We're going to see if we have some theologians with us today. So all of you boys or men, had, have you ever played with a, a plastic boat in the tub or in the pool? All right, so look, at least, at least you guys are honest. First service, nobody wanted to admit that except for me. Um, so let me ask all of you that rose your hands, how, what did you eventually do with the boat? You sunk it. See, you are a theologian who don't even realize it because the word baptized means, among other things, to sink. It means to immerse, to dip under, or to sink. And so one of the reasons we believe in immersion is because that's what the word means. And so that just makes sense for the simple-minded like me. Uh, but as you look at Jewish culture and you have an understanding of the culture, uh, it helps to paint a picture as so many times when you read the Word of God, to have an understanding of uh, Jewish rituals, Jewish feasts, different things, it makes the Scriptures come alive. And so this is a picture I took while I was in Israel that's literally still today right outside the walls of Jerusalem. And you can't see it real well, but this is a, a pool that was used for ritualistic cleansing. And if you look real carefully about the third or fourth step down, you can actually see there was a seam going down these steps. And so when you were coming to offer your sacrifice, if you were unclean, you had to be purified. And so you would walk down one side of the stairs completely into the water, and then you would turn around and come up the other side. You wouldn't come down the side that you went down because that side would be unclean, and you wouldn't want to get uncleansed as you came back up, so you would go down and around. Now, no Jew would only go in partially or just take some water and sprinkle it on themselves because they want to be totally cleansed. And so here's an example of what the Jews would, uh, would understand in Jewish culture, you know, is that there was a need for that. Adding to that uh, is that if you were a Gentile and you were converting to Judaism, there was a series of steps that you would have to go through. The final one would be baptism by immersion. Again, this ritualistic cleansing uh, in the process. And so Jews would understand that it was baptism via immersion. But then you look throughout the New Testament, John the baptizer, that we, we look at what he was doing. So he's out in the wilderness, uh, probably the area... Uh, 
just south of Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, found. So, in fact, some scholars believe that John would have been part of the Qumran sect that was out there in the wilderness, and, and, and because some of the things that he preached were a lot of things that they believed, whether that is the case or not, just south of where the, the uh, site of Qumran is, is the, uh, the Jordan River, where most people believe that Jesus would have been baptized. And so John was out in this area, and it was a good ways away from Jerusalem. If you're walking from Jerusalem, it literally is all downhill. If you're walking back, obviously not so much, and it is very dry and, and hot. So John's out there baptizing, and there was three things that we can really glean from his baptism. One is that it was a picture of what was to happen. In other words, it was an outward symbol of the purification that would take place. Uh, we all know that baptism has nothing to do with it. There's nothing special about this water. It's just from the tap. We don't put anything in it. We don't bless it. It's just water. It is a symbol of what takes place only through the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ and the transformation that takes place with the, the Holy Spirit. The second thing for John is it was identification. So all these people, remember what John was preaching, repent and be baptized. So repent of your sins and then be baptized. So they were identifying with their beliefs. And then thirdly, it was the basically dedication of a disciple, much like the Gentiles, you know, as you were coming to, to, to believe in Judaism, you were, you were saying that this is my belief. And so you have all these things that John was preaching as well. And so we believe in immersion because uh, the word means to, to submerge, to sink. We believe in immersion because as you look in the, in the New Testament, you see that. Also in the New Testament, as you look in there and you look at various different examples, uh, you see the practice of immersion all throughout the New Testament. So if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 8, this is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, which is a fascinating story. You know, if you don't feel like you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, this story is for you. You know, that all you got to do is pray that God would lead you to somebody that he's already got on the doorsteps, and that's what Philip finds himself in. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading through God's word. He's coming to this point of understanding, uh, but he doesn't, or this desire to understand, but he doesn't quite understand, and then here comes God brings Philip on the scene, uh, and he gets to lead him to Christ. You know, when God is moving, we just need to find out where it is he is moving and participate in that, and we get to reap in a lot of the joy that comes from doing that. And so here in, in Acts chapter 8, in verse 38 and 39, after the unit comes to Christ, uh, here's what takes place. And he commanded the chariot to stop. So now Philip's in the chariot with the, the eunuch, and, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, to, and be, to be baptized by him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Imagine that after a baptism service. But here we have, the, they come across some water, the eunuch stops the chariot, he, he asks to be baptized, they go, did you catch it? Down into the water, out in the middle of the, this arid climate, and they come up out of the water. And so we see it, the word means to baptize, we see it in Jewish culture, we see it all throughout the New Testament, that that's what was practiced. But probably the best reason that we believe, for me at least, in, in the baptism by immersion is because Jesus was immersed. You know, and if it was good enough for Jesus, 
it's good enough for me. So you look at the practice of Jesus, you know, and, and he, uh, he comes on uh, the scene with, with John the Baptist, and we're going to look at this a couple times this morning, uh, in, a, in both in Matthew and then later in John, that as he comes onto the scene, John recognizes immediately who he is. Jesus asked to be baptized, and John's like, whoa, no, no, you need to be baptizing me. And so when we look at this, you know, I've got lots of friends that believe in a different form of baptism. You know, some of my friends I'm very close with, I think are some of the most spiritual men I know, they believe in this infant baptism where you baptize the infant in this believing of this covenant relationship that this child is going to come to Christ. Now, I would say this. We do a similar thing in our baby-child dedications, uh, but it's not. We, we wouldn't say that that's baptism. We're, we're believing, too, that you raise this child up in a godly home, and you're, you're preaching to them and teaching them God's word. Eventually, they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You do it God's will, God's way. His blessings come. You know, others believe in this, this sprinkling of uh, baptism after somebody comes to Christ, but we would again say we believe it by immersion. And again, I'm not saying that because we disagree, we can't have fellowship with them. Now, there is one group in particular that believes that you are not saved until you are baptized. So let me take this opportunity to say we would totally disagree with that. And that would be a place to, to break fellowship because now you're adding to the doctrine of salvation. And we wholeheartedly believe that baptism has nothing to do with salvation as we'll see in a moment, it is an act of obedience after somebody has come to Christ. So let's go to that account in Matthew chapter 5, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus comes on the scene as John is baptizing, beginning in verse 13. And so Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, 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 you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So you can imagine the scene that Jesus goes down into the water. And again, I want to emphasize that. And as he comes back up, heaven opens up. You hear the voice of God. And I know I, I shared this before that after I was there, I took some pictures and I came up and just was spending some time thinking about Jesus' humility and being baptized. And then immediately going into 40 days in the wilderness. As I'm coming up out of the Jordan and looking into the wilderness where he was, I was in awe. But there was three white doves that were walking on the ground right there. Almost as this remembrance of, that's my son in whom I am well pleased. That's who we are here to worship today, who we are here to continue to fulfill his mission and his gospel. But as you look at other versions of the Bible, so we see in the English Standard Version, they came, he went up from the water. In the NIV, it says he came up out of the water. Uh, in the NASB and the in New King James Version, immediately came from the water. You know, so we're not talking sprinkling. They came up out of the water. Uh, and so, again, just not to drive the point to its dead, but the word means baptized. Culture understood it to be immersion. The word means submerged. The culture understood it. You see it practiced in the New Testament. Jesus was also baptized via immersion. That is why we strongly believe as Baptists that to, if you're going to be baptized, do it the way Jesus did it. Do it the way the word says and to be baptized. Um, you know, and it's interesting to me how many people really want to get upset about that. 
We had guys, pastors, who got baptized again in the Jordan River while we were there. You know what? And at first I struggled with that. Why are you getting baptized again? It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible you can't be baptized again. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible to be baptized again. But the point is it's this outward expression of what's taking place inwardly that we'll see in a moment. And so we believe in immersion for those reasons, but we also want to make it clear that baptism is an act of obedience, that we're commanded to be baptized. If you go to Acts chapter 2, when Peter is talking you know, to him, he, he says this, and, and actually this adds to some of the confusion for some churches. It says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the arguments from a church that really believes that you have to be baptized to be saved, matter of fact, if you come to Christ in that church on Sunday morning, you'll be baptized before the service is over. They'll stop and they'll baptize you right there because they believe you're not saved until baptized. Their argument is this. Everywhere you see in the New Testament, you see repent, baptize, saved. And their argument is, I would say incomplete, that because it says that everywhere, you know, that you need to do those two things before you're saved. No, it's an outward, it's, a, it's symbolic of what takes place after salvation. You know, but it is an act of obedience. So if you remember the, the ritualistic cleansing pools that the Jews would have totally understand, it appears the Ethiopian eunuch understood about immersion, you know, that, that we go down in, it's this symbolic, we go down into the water, we are dead, we die to ourselves, and we are raised again in newness of life, you know, as that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul, well, we, we're not sure who the writer of Romans is. We suspect that it might be Paul. But the writer of Romans, in talking to the Romans, you know, talks about this a little bit. And so it's interesting when you go to Romans chapter 6 and you read the first four verses, it gives us a little bit additional insight into the symbolism of baptism. And so he says this as they're having this discussion. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we be united with him in, de in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And, and it goes on and on. But what, the point I want to make for this passage is this, the symbolism of baptism. We've already come to faith in Jesus Christ and how the Holy Spirit indwells us. Some say we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I would say that's a one-time indwelling. The, the picture of baptism is that we are uniting ourselves with Jesus Christ. We're making that public. Going down in the water is what the writer here is saying. We have died with ourselves, our sin nature with Christ in baptism as Christ dies. And now we are raised in newness of life because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the work of God raising him from the dead. Our old is gone. Our new has come. You see the symbolism in there? And so it doesn't have anything to do with salvation, but the symbolism in here is amazing. And so that brings us to the Lord's Supper. 
And I want to hopefully connect the dots for you with the symbolism in, in the Old Testament, the symbolism that those New Testament believers understood because of their Jewish culture and heritage, and bring us into the Lord's Supper. And the best way, I believe, it, for us to learn about the Lord's Supper is to participate in the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to ask, they're going to be a little bit different, I'm going to ask our deacons if they would come forward, and they're going to get the elements, and they're going to begin passing them out. Now, as they get those, and we might need to turn the lights up a little bit for this so we don't spill on one another, but as they get those, I want you to hold them in your hand. Now, I understand you're probably going to have to put your Bible down. We have the verses on the screen. But as we are talking about this and we're reading God's Word, I want you to hold these in your hand you know, as we continue to go forward. And so, guys, if you'll just get those and pass them to one another and go ahead and, and pass those out, I would appreciate it. But we want to we try to connect the dots with the Jewish symbolism that's here. And so if we go to Luke chapter 22, I, I hope you, you will see this in a, an amazing, amazing way. So in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is coming with the disciples, and, and they're about to participate in the first Lord's Supper. So beginning in verse 14, and it says this, And when the hour had come, he reclined at the tables and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, if you remember Jewish culture, you remember Passover, what is it that they celebrate in Passover? Right? They're celebrating the exodus from uh, Egypt. Right when, when as God was convincing Pharaoh to let the people go, the final thing was that the, the Israelites had to sacrifice what? A perfect lamb. They had to shed the blood, they had to take the blood, and they had to sprinkle it on the doorpost. Every household that had blood on the doorpost, when the, the angel came, the firstborn son and livestock was spared, everyone that didn't was taken. Right? So it's this celebration of God's victorious miracle and getting them out of Egypt and God's provision because of the shed blood for each household. Right? That's what they were celebrating at Passover. So come back to this passage. Here they're getting ready to participate in what we're about to participate in. And Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Why? Because he knows who he is. So going back to the passage we looked at when Jesus was baptized, this time looking at it from John, in John 1, verse 29, a little different account that we see in this that we didn't see in Matthew. It says this, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and this is what he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see the connection here? Do you see the symbolism that's being connected from the perfect lamb that was sacrificed to be the covering so that the firstborn would be spared to now John the baptize, baptizer says, Behold, listen carefully. This is the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of all the world. And now you connect it to Jesus in the Lord's Supper. I earnestly desire earnestly desire to eat this Passover meal with you, knowing that he is the Lamb of God, knowing that his blood is about to be poured out so that the sins of the world can be paid for and so that we can have an intimate relationship with God Almighty. Going back to Luke chapter 22, look at verses 17 through 19. He says, For I tell you that I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. 
For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, before we partake, there's something else that's of extreme importance that we often in our busyness forget about when it comes to communion. And it's in particularly, you know, in light of the importance of the decision that we're about to make on this Wednesday night, whether or not this is the leading of God moving this church forward or not, if we genuinely want to hear God, we need to do this continually. And that is the examination of our own hearts to make sure that we are in right standing with God. If you want to know that God is speaking to you, you need to make sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life. And so turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so as our deacons are getting the elements for themselves, and you guys can sit down when you get them, I, I want us to listen to these words from Paul as he's speaking with the church in Corinth. And the church at Corinth was um, not necessarily doing things right. And so as we look at in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 and following, Here's what it says. He says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, and one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you? No, I will not. For what I receive from the Lord, what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, the very cup that you hold in your hand, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood and the body of the Lord. This is the point that we often forget. This is right from the Word of God. Let a person examine himself. Then, examine yourself, and then, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About all our things, I will give directions when I come. And so here we have 
Paul, understanding what's happened in the church at Corinth, that they've forgotten to examine their own hearts. They've forgotten to ask God to examine their hearts. And before we go any further, so that we make sure that we are not partaking in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and more importantly than that, so that we can hear God Almighty communicate with us both corporately as a church and the decisions that we have as a church, but also individually of ourselves, we need to make sure there's no unconfessed sin. As I said before, the decision that we're about to make as a church on Wednesday night is a spiritual decision, and we need to therefore go about it in spiritual ways. But if you really want to hear God communicate to you, there can be no unconfessed sin in your life. And therefore, we need to examine. We need to ask God to reveal anything, any, any wickedness in our heart that we need to own. And I'm just going to ask you that, that we'll take these next few minutes just to examine ourselves and let God convict our soul. And when he does, if he does, that we confess that sin so we can be in right standing with him. had the opportunity to be there on that day when he was crucified or if it took place in our society where we could videotape it and show it around the world knowing that his shed blood was for you it's because of my sin and here in this passage in Luke 22 he's saying to his his guys, he's saying, I earnestly desire to have this Passover meal with you. Because he knew what was about to come. He knew that his body, this little cracker that we hold in our hand, that we take for granted, was about to be beaten. It was about to be flogged within an inch of his death. He was to lose so much blood that his body would go into hypovolemic shock, that he would collapse as he was going to the cross. But willingly, he poured himself out. In love for you. And me. And too often we come to take communion and we forget what we're remembering. We forget the purpose. We forget, even though we know this passage in 1 Corinthians, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. But too often we're doing the same things. Put our own desires above His. We put our own glory above His. And so as Jesus comes, let me read this passage to you again as He's talking to His disciples. He took the cup and the bread, and he, after he'd given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. Now, here's what I want you to hear. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's not participating in this again until his kingdom comes again. And who is he entrusted with his kingdom? Us, his church. We saw that last week that he's, in, 
He's entrusted us with his church as stewards of his kingdom and making his glory known. He's given us that responsibility. And what he's saying is, I want you to remember, you remember all that I did so that you can be part of my family, that you can be part of my kingdom. But don't forget what it is I've asked you to do to make my glory known and to allow my kingdom to be fulfilled so that I can come back. it's so important to make sure that we're in right standing before we participate. Otherwise, we just cheapen what he did. So in the words of Jesus, he said, do this in remembrance of me. time today this is his church the only reason that we exist is because of the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ and that God proved that Jesus was who he said he was by raising him from the dead so that we can have newness of life so that we can be members of one body fulfilling his one mission to go and make disciples of all the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so his kingdom can grow and expand. That one day, I believe soon, he's coming again. He so desires for you to have this personal relationship with him, to know that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way into heaven. If you're here today and you're uncertain about that, please come forward and allow our counselors to be able to begin to answer some questions, take you the word of God so you can see what God's word says itself. Maybe you've been away for a while from church and for whatever reason, maybe a bad experience or not, but you feel the power of the Holy Spirit saying, come back. Let's not take for granted what he's done. We've got big decisions to make as a body of believers. We need to be united in mind, be united in purpose of glorifying God as we come back tonight, we continue what we've done here this morning. We're going to spend time in prayer, reading his word, praying his word back to him. We're going to pray individually. We're going to have another time of confession so we can examine our hearts both individually and corporately. And we're going to pray and we're going to ask the spirit to affirm on each individual heart what his will is for this church. As I said before, we're not asking you to agree with us as elders. We're asking you to agree with him. The way we make decisions in this church is not using our experience and our talents, the way we make decisions in this church is on our knees, beseeching him for his answers to do it his way. So I ask that you come back tonight. Before we sing our final song of invitation, and we invite you to respond in any way that God is leading you, let me just close this in a word of prayer. God, I'm so grateful that at the cross, you died for me. Lord, that you glorified yourself rose from the dead to prove who you were. And God, too often we forget that. So God, I pray that through your holy presence that you would speak to each of us individually, that you would so move in our hearts and that we would respond in, in humility. 
Lord, perhaps we're not even sure of what, what we're responding to other than we just desire what your desire is. We desire your will to be done in this church, in this place, in this time, but Lord, in our lives as well. And so God, I pray that your presence would bless in a mighty way. In Jesus' name. It used to be that we could not enter the presence of God that only the high priest once a year until the resurrection of Jesus Christ when that veil was ripped from top to bottom in two and now because of the work of Jesus Christ all of us are high priests all of us can step into the presence of God Almighty and ask him to to lead us in all truth ask him to through his scripture and through the power of the Holy Spirit that even the high priest didn't have that we can understand God communicating to us all of us go through life, and we go through life's challenges, and we need God to communicate to us. And more than ever before, we need God to communicate to us as a body of believers what his will is. And so I pray that you'll come back tonight as we do more of what we've done this morning, that we corporately pray and read the word and allow God through his word, through his presence, through the Holy Spirit to communicate to us. If you've never in your life really understood how to make a godly decision, that's what we're going to do tonight. And so if for no other reason you come back just out of curiosity for that, I encourage that you come back. And we're going to walk through that together as a family, as one body of believers seeking to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is none of us, none of us deserve his forgiveness. None of us deserve his presence. None of us deserve his power in our life. So I want to encourage you. He is at work. He is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be forevermore. And we get to experience that.